Don't be upset because of evil people. Don't be jealous of those who do wrong. That's the verse that began today's reading read by, by Joshua, my son. And it reminded me of high school. The high school that I went to, well, there used to be quite a few playground fights. And just before the teachers arrived to split everyone up and dole out whichever punishment was going that day, the friends of those involved in the fight would say something like, Get off him! He's no worth it! Or, Get off her! She's no worth it! There's something of that in the beginning of today's reading. David, and it seems to be David who wrote this psalm, pleads with us to not worry, to not fret, to not get jealous of those who do evil or wrong. The word don't fret or don't worry in verse 1 in the Hebrew suggests it burning with anger, being consumed with rage. It's incredibly easy to get there, isn't it? Even in the worst crisis that we can imagine, there always seems to be someone who's taking advantage. There always seems to be someone who's finding an extra couple of pounds to, get, to win somehow off of someone else's bad luck. There always seems to be people who are quite happy to gouge prices and get the most that they can, or even take advantage of those who are sick. It's very easy to get enraged and angry, but David, and as we'll find out later in the psalm, David who's now an old man, tells us, don't get into that. It's just not worth it. What are his grounds for saying that? Is it just the pacifism that might come as you get older? No, it's his history. It's life that has taught him that lesson. You see, yes, this is David who, as a young man, killed the giant Goliath. David is a young man who looked after his father's sheep, who played the harp, who sang so many songs and continued to make them into his old age. This is also David whose life was in constant danger as long as King Saul, the previous king, was alive. This is also King David who had to send his own family into another country for their safety. This is also David who saw one of his own sons try to get rid of him as king. And yes, this is David, who also knew what it was like to live in a country with a plague, with an epidemic. For David, this is hard-worn, worn, hard-won, hard-lived wisdom. This is David when he's old, perhaps making this psalm for his sons, those who were to follow him, perhaps writing this psalm for his courtiers who would look after the next king and saying, look, don't get enraged. Don't burn with anger. Don't allow your anger at the evil you see to consume you. Why? Isn't righteous indignation a good thing? We certainly like to tell ourselves that when we're upset at what somebody has done. The reason why David says not to be consumed with anger at these things is because evil doesn't last. Evil has a, a sell-by date. He says later in the psalm that, you know, he looked and saw that some evil man was flourishing and doing well, but when he looked again, there wasn't a thing left of him. The first strand of meaning in this psalm, and there are really two that are so intimately intertwined that it's hard to pull them apart. The first strand of meaning in this psalm is precisely that. Don't allow your perhaps righteous anger 
at evil to consume you. Don't fret and worry about how the evil will be dealt with. Don't allow yourself to be so enraged that you miss what God is doing. Because at the core of this psalm is God. David says all throughout this psalm that God is not going to bless wickedness. God is going to deal with wickedness. God is going to wipe wickedness out. Evil has a sell-by date. And so David, the old man who lived through more than we could possibly imagine, saw more fights and wars than we could imagine. Saw more suffering and more joy than many people will in their entire lifetime. This David tells us, don't worry, it's going to be dealt with. Evil doesn't last, but goodness does, but righteousness does, but seeking God has benefits that outlast any evil that could possibly come to the earth. As post-Easter, post-resurrection Christians, we know this to be true. The ultimate evil, the ultimate foe, the ultimate end, death, has already been defeated. When Jesus died and rose again at Easter, he didn't just prove that resurrection was possible, he beat death itself. This is why being a Christian is so incredibly powerful, because for a Christian, death holds no fear. Wherever evil is let loose on this planet, those who believe in Jesus know that because Jesus rose again, so will we. Because Jesus got a new body, so will we. Because Jesus is the firstborn of the new creation, there will be a new creation without suffering, without evil, without death, without fear. What does this all have to do with dealing with uncertainty? Well, uncertainty can be the catalyst that creates that fear and anger and even hatred in our lives. He's not a theologian, but Yoda from Star Wars said that fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Just look on social media around you. The very uncertainty and fear stirred by this period that we're in has caused some people to fall into anger and even hatred. It's caused people to make up theories as to who's to blame and what to blame and, and who you should get angry at and who you should get annoyed at. Psalm 37 tells us that David would have none of this. He implores us in our uncertainty. He implores us even in our righteous anger against evil. To not be consumed by that, but instead to find something better. Instead to find our peace and our rest in God. We're going to talk about that more in the second part of this sermon. But as we go into the next song, I want to invite you to meditate on the truth that evil has a sell-by date, but good lasts forever. Because God's love lasts forever. Maybe today you're dealing with the fear that comes with uncertainty. Maybe today you're tempted into to anger against something that you think someone has done to make this crisis worse or to make people suffer. I want to invite you to give that anger, to give that uncertainty, to give that fear to God, to seek him. And in this next song, to allow his presence to overwhelm you with his love, to be consumed by his love and his peace instead of the anger and the fear that uncertain and the uncertainty that so easily could sweep us off our feet.
Trust in the Lord and do good. Live in the land and enjoy its safety. The second theme of this psalm, which justifies the first, is that instead of putting our passion and our time into getting angry and burning with rage at the injustice and the evil we see, David appeals to us to turn those same passions into a delight in God. To direct our passions not at the things we see going wrong, not at the fear that arises out of uncertainty, but into trusting in God. We easily miss an allusion in verse 3 of this psalm when it says, Trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and enjoy its safety. Any psalm which mentions the land, any psalm which mentions living in the land or dwelling in the land, is talking about the promised land that God promised to give to the Israelites and he gave to them. When David is saying, live in the land and enjoy its safety, he's telling people to live in the place and in the knowledge of the blessings of God. Live in the knowledge that God has already kept to his word in the past and will keep to his word in the future. David is asking us to remember as an old man that when God makes a promise, he means it. And so when we see in verse 5, depend on the Lord, trust him and he will take care of you. Or in verse 18, the Lord watches over the lives of the innocent, their reward will last forever. When we read verses like that, David is asking us to lean on the character of God and on our revelation, on our deep knowledge of who God is and what God is like. As, a, as Christians, we believe that God isn't just some airy-fairy, made-up, fluttery faith thing, that God is real, that God is strong, that God loves us. And many of us have stories to tell in our lives of how God has taken care of us, of how God has come through in seemingly impossible situations. David is inviting us in this psalm to delight in God, to spend time in God, to spend time meditating on all that God has done and all that God will do. In other words, said David, you can look at the evil people and you can look at the wicked people and, and know that their reign, that their lives, that their power won't last. Or you can look at what God is doing, you can read God's word, you can spend time praying and thinking about the fact that God is eternal and when God says a thing, he means a thing. And when he means a thing, he does a thing. Once again, David isn't saying this on the basis of theory or speculation. In his own life, he found this to be true, even in the darkest situations. Before David became king, he led a, a band of men who would go raiding in different places. And one day they came back from a raid and they found that the enemy had come to their town, taken away their wives and children and their possession and burned the town to the ground. I can't imagine their anguish. I can't imagine how heartbroken they must have been. But for David, things would quickly go from bad to worse when his own men in their anger and in their fear turned to hate and began to think of killing him. The Bible tells us what David did next. It says, David found strength in the Lord his God. 
When David is telling us to depend on the Lord or to trust in him or to delight in him, he is telling us this on the basis of what he knew to be true, of what he found to be true in his own life. That in the darkest place, that in the place of greatest fear, that in the place where we don't know what's coming next, in the place of uncertainty, God is our rock. God is the city or the fortress that we can run to. And what does that mean? That means that God does take care of us. That means that God goes through the difficult situations with us. That means that God never leaves us. David is inviting us in our times of uncertainty, of our times of fear, in our times even of anger sometimes, to trust in God and to believe in him, to know what he has done and what he will do. And when David's saying don't worry about the wicked to depend on the Lord, his words would echo hundreds of hundreds of years later when Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 would tell us to not worry about what we'll eat or what we'll wear. Because the people who don't know God worry about these things. He would tell us in Matthew 6.26 how God wonderfully dresses the birds of the air or the flowers of the field. And then he would say in verse 33, he would implore us to seek the kingdom of God above all else. And all these and his righteousness and all these things will be added to us. He would say in verse 34, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worries. David would tell us in Psalm 37 that day by day the Lord takes care of the innocent. The Lord looks after us. The Lord cares for us. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes we wish we had a little bit more certainty. Sometimes we wish we had a little bit more peace. And David is saying that the antidote to uncertainty is to run to God. What does that mean for busy people? What does that mean for people who are struggling? What does that mean for those of us who are on our own? Well, to those of us who are on our own, who are mourning, who are struggling, Jesus is inviting us to spend time with him in prayer, in reading the Bible, in worship. Jesus is inviting us to bring our pain to him. David never said in this psalm that wicked people never prosper. He said they never prosper for long. He's inviting us when things are hurting, when we are hurting, to run to the one who can heal us. Many of us are alone right now and through this psalm, I, I hope you hear God speaking to you, inviting you to spend more time with him to learn more about him, to lean on him, to remember the stories of your past when God came through. Many of us are incredibly busy. I know how difficult it can be sometimes to find time to squish anything in. Trust me, this week I definitely know how hard it can be to find time to squeeze things in, especially when things don't go to plan. And we can hear sermons about delight yourself in the Lord or um, spend more time with God and we could say, well, I'd love to, but I'm already up early and, and going to bed late. How can I do that? One of the things that we've found helpful is to try and have time with God as a family. But even if you can have your Bible app open while you have a morning coffee, even if you can find time to read scripture between sending one email and reading the next one, 
God's not asking you to overload your day more, but to find space to pray so that he can take over your day. So that your day, as busy as it is, can be filled with his presence and filled with trust in him. God's inviting us all right now in this time of uncertainty, in this time for some of pain or of fear or anger, in this time when many people are thinking about what they've lost, God is inviting us to trust in him. It says of the righteous, those who follow God in verse 19, that they will not be ashamed when trouble comes. They will be full in times of hunger. In this time, which is so, many, so difficult for so many people, God wants us to take refuge in him. In the uncertainty around us, God is the one certain place. If we put our trust in God, we will not be ashamed. If we put our trust in him, we will see him do miraculous things. I could tell story after story in our lives of how God has come through, sometimes at the last minute, of how God has made the impossible possible. And I really want us to, as we go into this final song, as we, as we worship God again, I want us to think about deeply the idea that if we trust in God, we will not be ashamed. That God is the, the one who watches over us. That God is inviting us now to depend on him. Maybe for you that simply is going to mean finding a verse that you can hold on to every day. Finding a verse that you can think about when you're boiling a kettle for a cup of tea or something. Maybe for you, depending on the Lord and trusting in him is meaning going into deep study of the word of God so that you can know him more. Maybe it's going to mean longer times of prayer for you. Or maybe trusting in God for you right now just simply means finding five minutes every day to pray. Maybe it means sharing stories about what God has done with your children over the, the dinner table or the lunch table or the breakfast table. God is inviting us to trust him today. And I believe and I know that the stories that come out of this time of what God has done are going to be powerful. They're going to be amazing. And we're going to have something to tell people in the future of the God that we met in this valley. As we go into the, this last song, may you be blessed and may you know what it means to trust in God and to lean on him and for him to provide for your every need. In Jesus' name, amen.